Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you are here. And if we are of good cheer, the rain will be chased away. Um, if you were here at the 9 o'clock, you heard me say how good it is to have our chief pastor among us. Um, but the, the unit around which the smallest part you can break down the Episcopal Church is a diocese. And so uh, the bishop is the chief pastor wherever he goes in this diocese. And we're joined together by uh, congregations, uh, by institutions, by people striving to follow Jesus all around this part of uh, the world. And, and of course, through the bishop, we are joined with our brothers and sisters across the Episcopal Church and across the wider world. So it's a, a great gift uh, for us to, to be here with you in your church, uh, as much as it is, I know, for you to be here with us. And our, our topic this morning was to attempt to locate our own work and our own place and time here in this city. Uh, we've been using a, uh, a phrase, maybe not to keep, but just to try out for size for a while, uh, in the city for the city. That we have been a church in Midtown and in Atlanta that has had a heart for Midtown and for Atlanta, and we can simply walk around our block and start to hear the stories, the stories of covenant community, the stories of threads, the stories of, if we get off the block, and some of us were on the, the, the 5K run slash walk with Midtown Assistance Center yesterday morning in Piedmont Park, that's part of our story too. And, and of course, refugee ministries that see us far and wide, and particularly in Clarkston. And it isn't those uh, ministries alone we continue to to struggle and strive for uh, a more beloved community to continue to call out of ourselves that more perfect union. And so the encouragement this morning is for us to engage in conversation with our bishop as we come alongside him in his ministry and hearing our vocation together. So we're gonna, um, we're gonna roll with it for a while um, and I'm gonna ask a couple of questions of the bishop but then we're gonna open it up to you and I do encourage you. I do know that All Saints is normally not shy. <laughs> Don't feel shy this morning. This is a great opportunity uh, to engage your bishop and to hear about um, his passions and his vision and also his prompting of us. Um, I'm gonna start with a, a bit of a humdinger, uh, if I may. Now, this is the, is it the eighth year of your, how many years have you been wearing that kind of color? And is it dog ears we're using, or is it? <laughs> it may feel like that sometimes. This is the the, the 56th year of my episcopate <laughs> in uh, in dog ears. No, I'm uh, f uh, finishing my seventh, moving into the eighth. The seventh, moving into the eighth. Can you believe that, Harry? <laughs> it's hard, man. <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> More about that later. <laughs> I'm curious, if, as you look back on these first seven, moving into eight years, um, if you could name one of the great challenges that you have faced in leading the church in this place and time, uh, what, what would you name that from what you've seen beyond what we see here in this corner of Midtown? Two things. Well, good morning, first of all. I need to say that we are in the South, so we ought to start where we ought to start, right? Good morning to you all. I've, al I've already said my uh, paid due deference to uh, to mom and grandma and great grandma and mama Nim. So uh, so glad to be here on this most holy day. 
I called Harry out because Harry is, is to blame. Harry gave me my first job as a, as a clergy person. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm not sure, actually, in, you know, in, in retrospect over the years, if it was Harry or if it was Allison that uh, insisted that I, <laughs> but, but, but it, they, as you know, many of you know so well, they were such a powerhouse team, and so we remember Allison especially today. Now, uh, on to it. Um, I think two things immediately come to mind. What have been the challenges that have been sort of laid uh, bare for me as I try to do the work that I think I'm called to do? Um, number one has been a really difficult piece of work, and I think, I think a lot of people in the room will say amen and mm-hmm, and that is the word Christian has become so loaded up. Um. <laughs> now you got one. <laughs> so, so with smallness and vitriol uh, and uh, um, fear, it, it, is, it, is, it is barely recognizable to the gospel of that 2,000-year-old Jew who walked around including people, who actually had a lot of stern words, but always invitation, but stern words for the religious professionals like Simon and I, who reminded them that covenant is really about being in relationship with a really big God who, is, it, who cannot be condensed simply by a tradition or, or book. But, but must be prompted by those things, but then the spirit is always iterating. And so, 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 um, so Episcopal identity is one big thing, and, and, and we've got to do that together because you and I, we, we can't sort of rest on our laurels or think that Tim or Zach or Simon or Monica or others are going to articulate for, for that for us. You and I have got to do that. Um, because we need people uh, wherever we find ourselves to be able to say, you know, what it is about this tradition that is the embodiment of the opposite of all that other stuff. You and I have got to do that um, because I think in the Episcopal Church we think of God as a really big God uh, who understands families in the broadest sense. Um, I think that you and I read both sides of the Bible uh, and, and we realize that m most of the stuff is mystery and can't get condensed to talking points. Uh, and, and, so, and so that doesn't make an easy pitch, but it is nevertheless a thing that can be embodied. And so you and I have got to do that. That's, that's number one, is, is, is recognizing that this word has gotten load up, loaded up with really all the wrong things. I think Jesus would, would come to Georgia and other places and be, what the hell are y'all talking about? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the newly revised Rob standard version. And so <laughs> my Jesus talks that way. I don't know about your Jesus. My Jesus, yeah, anyway. So, so that's number one is, is, is that this word is out there and that, that you and I have a really sort of a, um, we're really encumbered by all that to, to be who we are and to invite people into community. Um, because people already sort of start off with homophobe, xenophobe, um, rigid, uh, you know all the rest. So that's number one. Number two, uh, and since you asked, I'll say it. So number two is, is that, you know, and I think that uh, there's, uh, there's collusion on every side, uh, and that is, is that, um, that uh, uh, we're doing a pretty good job of, uh, and I mean this sarcastically, doing a pretty good job dragging Eisenhower era religion forward. 
but it never was intended by the founder, and it, you know, and it's, it's a really poor substitute for the gospel. What I mean by that is, is that we don't hire Simon or Rob or Harry or anybody else to do the work for us. We don't hire a charismatic black guy to be the presiding bishop and think that he's going to drive us into the promised land. Um, the gospel has always flourished when, uh, when the, the floor height of partnership has gone up. And so, and so we will win or we will lose, we will gain or we will fail by our individual, I'm talking to everybody in the room, including myself, by our own individual commitment to embodying this stuff. And you, you can't outsource it. And so, and so, and I think there's, there's a, a, a part of us, the clergy has, has got to sort of repent for that because perhaps uh, unwittingly, perhaps wittingly, uh, we have sent sort of a father, mother knows best kind of model, we'll do your religion for us, you, you pay the pew tax and we'll do the rest. Um, and I think that, I think that in, in the era that we find ourselves in now, which is the post-Christian uh, uh, era, that simply won't wash. Uh, it's got to be coming out of our pores, got to be coming out of our ears. I'm not talking about talking points. I'm talking about our, our authentic sort of the contours of our living. And we've got to do that together. And so uh, think about it for just a second. Uh, doing church like that is a much more exciting enterprise, isn't it? It's not sort of hear from a guy who's doing it or a gal who's doing it, but it is for you and I to come across a thrush threshold on Sunday morning uh, as co-conspirator in the conspirators in this gospel business. And that makes worship uh, even more dynamic because we're coming in from our corner of the mission field and we're looking for some respite. We're looking for some people who talk our language, uh, who understand our symbols, and we get refreshed about uh, with that to go back out. And so the two challenges are how do we um, uh, lay claim to the word Christian in, in, in its beauty and in its integrity and its, in its love and kindness, and how do each of us uh, take up uh, a new portion of the share of the ministry that God would have us to, to live out. Um, that's always been it. That's, that's movement. I mean, you just can't outsource movement. Jesus walks down the beach and says to some really fishermen who suck, hey, how, how about being preachers? How about being preachers with me? I mean, so it's really not about training. It's really not about curriculum or vitae. Uh, it's not about accomplishment or achievement. It's just about a willingness. Um, it's about a willingness to say yes and yes again. I always like to say, and I may say it again at, at, at 11.15, you know, when we stand up and people are confirmed or received and reaffirmed, we sort of watch them at a distance and they make their promises and then the bishop lays hands on them and all that's wonderful. But how dare we sit there and watch? How, how dare we not say, in, you know, in that moment, our own yes again? I mean, that's why the liturgy offers us an opportunity to say our, 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 we will with God's help again. It's because in that moment, these young people coming forward or not so young people coming forward have given us an opportunity to say yes again, to repurpose ourselves. So one last thing, I would invite you, especially during the summer, uh, you know, Episcopalians go off to the lake and the mountains and God, God knows where. Um, I, I would invite you to have a little bit more purposeful summer. I mean, of course, rest and relax and retreat and all that thing, that all those things that are necessary for us to do, of course. But, but to go with this question, how can you serve God anew? You. I mean, I think about us. You know, sometimes people want to count our age, our gray hair as liability. I don't think so at all. I think that many of us have discretionary time and discretionary income, and we've been everywhere. Now, if we'll just do the purpose work, why do we exist on this block? 
why do we follow Jesus Christ? If we can do some of that, it has a wonderful funnel effect. We can bring down into a few things that we really want to deliver. David Brooks has, has distilled this in his, his new book out now, My Second Mountain. He, he's helping us in that regard as he's being public about his own journey of falling forward. He's helping some of us who are so very busy, so very distracted to, to distill and land on a thing that I really need to do what's calling me to do, what God is calling me to do, what I have to do to be me. And so I, I think that uh, that's a very long answer to, to a, a wonderful question. But that's my invitation is what is your share uh, you know, in the, in the beloved community. Because it, it will never flourish as God has intended until you and I sort of take up our share. Kind of mindful in, in that um, we live in a time, not just here in the United States, but across the world where the question of identity is being posed. Not necessarily posed in a um, polite Sunday morning kind of way, but in a way that is, has hostility built in. Or I, I got to hear the, the bishop uh, speak with uh, his brother bishop uh, from the Lutheran church at a uh, gathering at Redeemer Lutheran just up the road here in Midtown. It was the topic was immigration, refugees, and really in many ways, what does it mean to belong? And uh, I've been, full disclosure, I've been sharing uh, one piece that, uh, that uh, the bishop had shared at that point sharing with different groups that I've been, including folks in my adult inquirers class who've heard this before. You said that you were working on your contempt, yeah. um, that, that it's hard for me to go move forward with the work or with my own work unless I can deal with how I am orienting myself to the other. And the challenge with contempt and with the kind of conversation we're having or having around the world uh, about identity is that contempt looks like an easy win but it's just a fast fail. Um, so I'm reminded in listening to you, Rob, of, of Bonhoeffer who talked about some of this post-Christendom age of uh, that, that the church might be people come of age. Uh, that, that in a way, the idea that we've had of God might get shuffled off to the side, but we're still left there. And in many ways, I feel that our vocation is to step out into the city, for us to step out into this city with that question of identity and that question of what exactly are we supposed to do and who exactly are we in all of this as yet unresolved. And if our identity is in Christ, we will never resolve that question. But we're left to that same invitation to go and stand out there. That sounds a little abstract. So let me just place it somewhere and ask a second question. I want to open it up. I wonder, as, we, as you've gone around this city and your ministry um, is, you, you name the number of churches, but your ministry as a bishop, particularly how you have chosen to exercise uh, the episcopate in this place is out in this city. And there are many places and people that, um, that your work and our work has touched through you. Um, I'm mindful of challenges such as um, as I understand it, this city may be the top of the list for income disparity in America. And I'm wondering where you see the issues of this city pressing in upon us, um, whether that's what you see now, you've seen emerging for some time. If there's one or two of those that you say, we should, perhaps we should pay attention to that and move toward those voices that are crying out to us. Just a little question. Thank you for that. Thanks, Simon. Always appreciate that. Uh, 
you know, I guess how I would come at that uh, is to say when I was uh, at first uh, occupied the role as bishop, you know, um, people used to keep, keep coming to my office uh, and say, you know, you know, line, I mean, lines, I mean, I, I, I couldn't hardly make it to the restroom, you know, I mean, just lines of people, you know, and they, everybody wanted to sort of lean in and say, what is your vision? Well, I mean, you know, part of that's fair. What is your vision? New guy, we give you the funny hat. What you, you know, what are you, where are we going? And, and, you know, I was a bit disoriented, bewildered at the very beginning of that. And then, and then I sort of landed on, on um, a mischievous answer, which helped me um, begin to respond to Simon in earnest. And that is, my vision begins on page 299 in the Book of Common Prayer. You know what that is? What is it? It's where we begin the conversation in the prayer book about baptism. Let me tell you, let me tell you how, I, how I start there. Um, it's, it's my mind, uh, when I think about the Diocese of Atlanta, is it's the Diocese of Atlanta is middle and north Georgia. It's actually 75 and a half counties, 26 of which are among the most poor in the state of Georgia, 26 of which are among the most poor in the country. Right, so, so I'm thinking about, so then I, I got a sort of a systems thing I'm trying to think through. I'm thinking I got 116 congregations, worshiping communities. I have 75 and a half counties. I've got disparities, uh, you know, myriad disparities. I've got white rural poverty that doesn't really make the news as much. Uh, we sort of think it's black and brown poverty. Actually, the majority of the Diocese of Atlanta, that poverty is white rural poverty. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got the opioid epidemic, as you know. I mean, I've got the woes of the world here. We've got the whole thing. We've got uh, communities that used to be plantations in another part of our American story uh, that have now black and brown people, uh, you know, in, in these terrible, tragic cycles of intergenerational poverty, sort of been just left out to rust like old farm equipment. I mean, we, we've got a hell of a situation. And so, so how does one little... Uh, uh, gray-haired little fool, uh, try to steer the, the awesomeness of the resources in places like this. Well, I think you, you un unnecessarily constrain people if you say X, Y, and Z. At least this is my model. My model is much more, well, who does all saints feel called at this time to respond to given your particular milieu? So in other words, I, I, what I'm saying is, is that I think uh, a, a better way down the road, but maddening to some, I'll acknowledge that, is not for headquarters to tell you what to do, but to support and amplify what you think God is calling you to do. Do you get that? It's kind of like raising grown people. Anybody got grown children? Say amen. All right. <laughs> so, so I would not infantilize you by saying X, Y, and Z. I would not do that because I know the smarts and the resources and the know-how that is in this room. What I would rather do is invite us all into a conversation about um, why does All Saints exist right now? I mean, you don't need me to tell you who, who you are, but, you know, there are a couple of pieces that are exciting to me. I mean, you know, you were sort of first to the conversation about acknowledging that all kinds of people have dignity and that people should be buried with dignity in this place. And you were, you were among the first to say that out loud, right? And that, that came out of an abiding sense of what was right and what was gospel and what was good, and you did that. And you, you had an international reputation for that. 
And so I think now where we are, not that we've cured everything with the new marriage laws, we certainly have not reached a promised land just yet, but now that that sort of is where it is, you are faced with some really difficult work. This is all implicit in everything that Simon is saying, and that difficult work is now, why do we exist? Why do we exist? And so, and so really, it's really right back to you and, and right back to you, and that is having those sort of very frustrating conversations, I've had them, uh, with lots of groups about what is our purpose. We know how to handle how much. We know how to handle how. We even know how to handle where and what. But I find that both businesses as well as churches are just absolutely frustrated by the conversation about why. Wendell Berry said this. I love Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry says, when we come to the place what we, that we don't know what the work is, we finally come to the place of the work. Do you get it? It, it is, we've got to somehow pivot and, and, and push in and down uh, to figure out what is our work now. Now, as I said, by the way, all the answers to this are in my sermon that I just preached. <laughs> how smart I am. So, <laughs> no, it, it is a sense of, it is a sense of, of, of vocation. Um, you, you are not arbitrary. You know, Desmond Tucci used to say, you know, you may think you look like an accident, but you are not an accident. <laughs> uh, God knew, and Stevie Wonder echoes this, God knew exactly where God wanted you to be. And so you and I are in this moment, uh, you know, right now. Uh, and this, we are what God has. Uh, and we don't have to be enslaved by the notion of perfection. What we have to do is run what I call data-driven, uh, purposeful experiments. So, so what seems right, given our resources and our know-how and our heart in this place, what seems right to try to make progress on? I'll tell you this, uh, you have to factor scale into this. This is not a small church. This is not a church hanging on by its fingernails to life. This is a place that can change things. And so I would ask you, as you think about what God is calling you to do and be, think big. I don't hear nearly enough God people talking about how to smack the cover off the ball. I hear a lot of people trying to talk about how can we get on base. Forgive me my baseball metaphor. How we get on base. Well, getting on base was never Jesus' endeavor. Hitting the ball up out of the park and in the river was his work. And so, you know, think about who you are. Think about with great gratitude, you know, those saints who we love but see no longer, who endowed this place with their good faith and good cheer and their resources. They didn't endeavor for us just to get on base. And so I see you as a force in the city, frankly speaking. A force in the city. We have too many sleeping gorillas, sleeping giants in the Diocese of Atlanta. My invitation is to continually bother people to step it up. Because I think that's where we find the most gracious sense of our identity. You know, people talk about sitting around the room and trusting, and I don't know what the hell that even means. I used to jump out of helicopters for a living. If you want to know what's wrong with me, that's what's wrong with me. And, and I used to jump out of helicopters with people who we saw the world radically different. My, one of my best friends, became my best friend, was from South Haven, Mississippi. He believed and was taught that people look li that looked like me were inferior by birth. But we had to have a working trust. In other words, he, when he jumped out of that helicopter, he knew for sure I was coming to get him. 
and vice versa. And after the mission was complete, we sat and had some Jack Daniels and talked about it. And both of us grew up some. So, so there is a trust and there is an identity that is only forged in trying something. And so, you know, I, I stand ready uh, at the Diocese of Atlanta to support and amplify and help in any way your work. But it is, in fact, your work. And that's actually uh, not neglect. That's actually the exciting part about it. Yeah. So we've got time for a few questions. What I heard here, and here's my commitment, that I'll keep on bothering you if you keep on bothering me. There's a relationship between rector and parish. Um, but we might uh, disturb the waters a little bit, not only out there, but in here. Because when we're in a real relationship, you know, when the honeymoon's over, you start being married. And I think when we start being married, uh, we can start moving forward into really naming the work for one another. So I take great encouragement. And also in the question, Katie's got a microphone there just to help so we can- We've got some microphones up. coming around. Are we gonna create as much space as we can for as many questions as we can? No, I have to call Harry out because the reason why I'm a member of this congregation was because Harry showed a challenge to me almost 20 years ago, okay? Uh, the challenge worked, very good. <laughs> well, you know, we came around and went around and we still gotta go around a little bit again, right? To make sure we diversify this congregation yes. a little bit more, yes. right? I was going to be in the line in front of your office when you came in there seven years ago for the issued Absalom Jones Center. I'm in the AU Center at Morehouse Medical School. I'm still going to come to your office on, 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 on that issue and a couple more issues because I, I see we need, we're at a time now where we need to readdress some of those issues and we have to start with our own context, okay? So that, that's my comment. For sure. And, and I like your, your uh, story on Andy Young. Yeah. I, I came from California. I was told when I Is came- Is that a California accent? <laughs> 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 well, what do you think, right? <laughs> Southern I, California. I, yeah. was, <laughs> I was born in Ghana. Yeah. And, uh, you know, went to school in Canada, New York. Yeah ended up in California, right? Uh, when I came here, I was told that I had to get blessed if I'm coming to Atlanta, and only two people could do that, Andy Young and Maynard Jackson. I had 15 minutes with Andy, I spent three hours in his office, so we came through some of the same routes. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, it's amazing how now in retrospect, you know, 50 years in we sort of lionized these people and made them sort of giants. But, you know, talk to them. Many of you, I think, know them. Talk to them. I mean, what was happening backstage was a hot mess. They were stumbling forward, but it was because people decided this was good and righteous. More people, increasing numbers of people. That's why we made the advances that we made. And so everybody still continues to count. I think there's a question in the back here. Oh, there's my, okay, great. There's my family. There we are. All right, very good. Yes. You heard that, huh? Y'all got real quiet on that comment. I want you to notice that. I'm curious on um, what individually or collectively you would recommend that we try to do to move that issue forward. Well, you know, I, I think that... Um, 
Simon alluded to a comment that I made about contempt. I, I think that a lot of really good energy, allow me to sort of swing at it this way, uh, a, a lot of good energy gets, gets, um, gets unnecessarily burnt up in contempt. How could those people think those ways? And then we Facebook and tweet and whatever the hell we do, and we don't produce any life. You know, Jesus was always one who sort of threaded this needle between um, doing our interior work and being uh, solution-oriented. And I think a lot of good energy has gotten burned off from a lot of us uh, because of the contempt we bear. And, and uh, to be honest with you, you know, part of my job being the Bishop of Middle North Georgia is, is that I've got I've to listen to Rachel and Rush all at the same time, right? And, and I can tell you, I can tell you that the left has as much contempt for the right as the right has for the left. Admit it. Oh, I, I'm in a room with real Christians. That's fantastic. <laughs> And, and, so, and so I find it all together, when we're talking about solving complex problems, I find it all together unhelpful. All together unhelpful. And Mary Margaret Oliver would tell you the same thing. It's all together un, unhelpful. So I would have to say is that whatever influence we use, begin to sort of work on that, uh, begin to work on that front and support some of the people, some of the voices that we have in town who are trying to do that work. I think we can work on solutions without, without, all of the sort of icing and sugar rush that comes from contempt. It, you know, uh, it, it, it is, what can I say? I guess there's no clear path uh, around all this. I think this is what makes it so mind, you know, sort of mind confounding is that there doesn't seem to be any um, clear path. But I think we've got to be able to say, again, continue to say to our elected officials and other influencers in town, which uh, we may be in conversation with, that we've got to figure out these solutions. I'm going to continue to say it because I've, I, the reason why I say it, and people say, well, what's your solution? I don't necessarily have a solution, but, I, but I'll tell you this. Uh, there's too much quiet about it in church on Sunday. You know, as I said in the sermon, and I'll say again now, you know, uh, uh, the heroism of children in the face of active shooters uh, should not be understood as a substitute for what I would call a smart gun policy. I'm, I'm ex-military. Right? I was qualified with lots of different weapons. I was at a shooting range with a friend yesterday. Okay, so I'm not some mansy-pansy kind of guy on the issue. But I do believe that we can have a tiered solution the way they have in Texas, which is increases training as we go up. I believe that sportsmen and hunters should have certain rights. But there's a reason why you're not able to drive a NASCAR down Peachtree Road. And there's a reason why we shouldn't be having AK-47s in the hands of people who have no qualifications or good reason to have them. That's just where I'm at. I don't mean to offend anybody, but, I mean, I haven't heard from anybody other than, well, it's my damn right. Well, it's my right to do a lot of things that we ought not do for the good of community. So I think we've got to find a way, and, and I'll tell you what my, what my share is in that. So my share is, is that I can't be throwing Molotov cocktails at, at the other side. I've got to sit with people uh, who are um, died in the wool members of the NRA. I've got to sit with people who don't see the world the way I see and try to do the hard I've sat with Governor Deal, you know, the present governor is an Episcopalian. He and I have had good conversations previous to him being a governor. I did his inaugural service, and I'm looking forward to having that conversation going forward. We talked a lot about voter suppression in his other iteration as the Secretary of State. I'll continue to want to talk to him about this. But, you know, that gold dome is more than a notion. And as to identity, we feel like 
Uh, to say yes to a smart gun policy is somehow giving away some real big part of our identity as Georgians. I, I'm afraid of, and my children are in the room, I'm afraid how that generation is going to judge us on these issues. You know, they're going to say, boy, y'all were long on sermons, and especially when you look at the example in New Zealand. I mean, you know, again, I'm not disparaging our present president. I'm not disparaging our last president. But I'm telling you, I saw a chief executive pivot, and she did an extraordinary. If I would have been a Muslim family in that country, I would have said that was an extreme act by an individual. But I got a clear message from the chief executive that New Zealand is for everybody. I mean, that was, that was an extraordinary thing. Now, again, New Zealand is not America. America is not in the, uh, uh, New Zealand. But... Um, Anyway, I'll, I'll stop there, but you've got your finger right on it. On Monday, tomorrow, tomorrow, um, um, because of a deacon in the Diocese of Atlanta, we're trying to put together for the first, and this is a shame as much as it's, it's something to celebrate, we're putting together an adjudicatory head group of, of religious leaders for the first time to sort of come together and work on policy initiatives. And we're going to meet at the cathedral tomorrow. It, it's, it's sad to say that for all the re religifying in Georgia, this is the first time we're putting together adjudicatory heads to begin to, as a collective group, say stuff to legislators. So I'm excited that, that we're doing it, but it's a shame that we're in 2019 and here we are. So, yeah, is there one last one? or Yes, sir. Yes, oh, two more. Yes, sir. Is, can we get yes. Phil Donahue? Can you get uh, somebody? Yeah. Thank you. I'll hurry very quickly. Yes, Tell sir. us a little bit about the work you're doing in the interfaith world, particularly with Samaya Khalifa. Yeah. And I guess you and Plymouth Alamein are doing some things as well. Yes, sir. But it's an important thing in terms of what you were just talking yes, about sir. that happened in New Zealand. Yes, sir. And this adjudicatory group you're bringing together yes, addresses sir. that's a critical issue. Yes, sir. And I think the other thing that just one other thing that's important is is that the black community. Uh, is in, in the inner city, their, their perspective is a five square block area. In the rural area, it's about one square mile. Yeah. And so to work from there, and you, you're taking a, a good notice of that. Too. <laughs> Thank you. We have. Well, I mean, he, he wants to know what we're doing with the interfaith. I mean, I, I, uh, I started off my ministry, as I've said, already said, with Harry. Harry called me to New York City, uh, the Upper West Side of Manhattan, uh, to, to be a chaplain of an Episcopal school for children of all faiths. And I had already done some of that work with two mayors in Washington, D.C. And so my theology is that I understand that God is a really big and that we're a human family and that I am no less the Christian for sitting with the Muslim. And I don't have to sell out my belief in Jesus Christ. I know God personally, Rob. I know God personally through the life, death, resurrection, teachings, and example of Jesus the Christ. That's what I know. And so, as Howard Thurman, uh, who a uh, one-time Atlantan, has said, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, because I go deep in Jesus, I end up sitting beside Muslims and Buddhists and Jain and Baha'i and Jews. So, so I think, number one, what we got to attack is this really superficial understanding uh, uh, of faith that a lot of us bear. And, and, and it's in my sermon. I keep referring to the sermon. It's in a sermon. Uh, where, where in, especially in America, I think maybe more than some other places, We've got this religious notion. It's true for denominational work as well. You know, we think that we're sort of competing entities for market share. 
And, and I, so that's a really superficial understanding. I think we have a really superficial understanding of what it means to have God incarnate uh, in Jesus Christ and what that means. I mean, Jesus himself wasn't a Christian. I mean, if you tell some people in the Diocese of Atlanta and beyond that Jesus was not from Georgia, did not speak English, and was not a member of the NRA, they wouldn't know what the hell to talk about. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the Lord and Savior of the church is a caramel-colored Palestinian Jew who was lynched outside of city walls in front of his mother. His daddy was a day laborer, like the people who stand out in front of Lowe's and Home Depot. How you doing this morning? That's Lord and Savior. So I think that I think that when we remember who he in fact was from Scripture, it's amazing the creative possibilities that bubble up there. Sumaya Khalifa is a saint. She has preached re renewal of vows uh, for the clergy of the Diocese of Atlanta. We have celebrated that service at the temple with Peter Berg, the rabbi there. Uh, uh, Plemon El Amin has been a longtime friend. And so Atlanta is in some ways blessed that we have these, these faith leaders. Uh, I can tell you when, the, when those shootings happened in New Zealand, and, and, and it, was, it blew my mind that uh, Chief Shields uh, for APS, uh, Atlanta um, uh, Police Department, APD, uh, was the first one who called Samaya Khalifa and said, we want you to know that we have doubled down on police officers at all the mosques because that will not happen in Atlanta. That's what you want, right? You want sentiments, but you want security and partnership. And so I think we just have got to lengthen that. Uh, I think we've, it, it's, it's bad for business. It's bad for the city. It doesn't, it doesn't honor God. And so we've also got to, uh, I see the rector getting nervous. It's also, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we've also got to remember, they can't start without me, so it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> But, but we've got, you know, but th those are, this is the last thing I really want to, I see Mary Margaret back there. This is the last thing I want to read into the record here. But, but these exotic expressions of extremism on other shores, and even on our shore, is the same demonic spirit that burns churches in Louisiana <laughs> and rural Georgia. And so let's not be too cute with other people about what's happening in their context. Let's remember that extremism on, e on every side does not glorify God, whatever you call God. It is, it, is, uh, it is some sort of hijacking of theology is all it is. And so you and I get to stand boldly and gently against that. I mean, this is, this is why, you know, I was not the guy, and my wife is here, she's seen my preaching trajectory over the years. I was not the guy who stood up and talked about love a whole lot. I know service. I know duty, I know get up every morning and get it done. That's what I know, that's how I was raised. But I've grown up some, and I know that understanding the love as Jesus lays it out is ultimately our add value in the world, and to do that boldly, gently in the real world. That's all really, you know, he's put us here to do. And if we do that, that still changes things. Michael Curry is right, that still changes things. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. So, well, over to you, sir. <laughs> Parish, I want to thank you for your leadership, uh, for your courage, for your, um, for your solidarity with us, and uh, we are inspired, and I hear there's a good sermon. You might want to get a good seat over in the church. We're heading over there now. Thank you. You're welcome.